This is Richard Cloutier Reports on 680 CJOB. This is one of those uh, areas where it gets very difficult, I think, to have a conversation about because we have our preconceived notions of the outcome of the story. But I think, and what has not really occurred in this province, is getting to know the backstory of Vince Lee. Dr. Jeffrey Waldman is here, and uh, Dr. Waldman has contributed a chapter to a book that looks at some of the most horrific crimes in this country. And not an easy decision for you to agree to write a chapter in this, is it? That's correct. Um, However, weighing the options, it certainly seemed like a good opportunity. I think one of the challenges over the last eight years has been that a lot of the media surrounding this story um, has had a very uh, one-sided view. And any attempts, and I've done a few interviews in the past, not about the case specifically, but um, when issues around the case come up, talking a little bit about the legislation and, and trying to help people understand a little bit about mental illness, um, but trying to actually tell the story in a way that people can under, understand the entirety of the story, some of the background issues, and then try to get a better understanding about the illness and how it might lead to these kinds of very horrific outcomes. Let's talk about um, the response and about uh, this being a, really a story not about crime, but about mental illness and health in a few minutes. But I think people don't understand the backstory of Vince Lee. Mm -hmm. Do we know his story in detail in the sense that it begins overseas in a different country? We know a bit of it here in Canada, but we don't know, I guess, the roots of his mental illness, do we? Well, and I I think that, you know, one of the interesting... Uh, and I think people don't really understand much about psychosis. And to, and to be honest, nobody really understands uh, all of the factors that go into um, developing a chronic psychotic illness. So uh, there's a number of illnesses that present with psychosis. Schizophrenia is probably one of the more well-known ones. Uh, there's certainly lots of research that shows a strong uh, genetic link. However, it doesn't tell the whole story. And, and there is associations with things like... Um, head injury, sometimes substance abuse, uh, sometimes stress, um, history of trauma, abuse. Those kinds of things can make it more likely to develop uh, an illness like schizophrenia, um, but nobody really knows, and it really is just like any other illness that uh, just about anybody can develop an illness, a uh, mental illness. What are the facts behind Vince Lee? What do we know about his upbringing and his young adult life? That it was incredibly benign. <laughs> that he was, uh, you know, came from a, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was, it, he grew up in China, and obviously there's some uh, social issues around around growing up in in China, but his family, both of his parents, uh, his, his father worked, he had uh, two siblings, he was a, apparently a very bright student, um, and because of that was able to go on to university and finish university degree, got married, worked um, in his chosen profession as an engineer, and um, but saw the limitations of living in Canada and, saw, and, and thought that he and his wife would look for other opportunities. Um, they were both educated, working, and... Um, they were and in Toronto, such, right? They Initially, he thought about going to Toronto, you know, 
I think like most of us, looked at the cost of living and thought Winnipeg made more sense. Right. And so came to Winnipeg instead. He did have a friend in Toronto and at one point traveled to Toronto uh, in the early course of his illness um, and was actually hospitalized there for a brief, very brief period of time. Um, and, it, and I think that, again, um, sort of goes back to you know mental illness and treatment and, and some of the challenges uh, that the healthcare system has in working with individuals with mental illness. But he had that very brief hospitalization and really didn't really understand the illness when he left. His wife didn't understand the illness. The marriage broke down, and so things fell apart over the subsequent two years. In his in those times when yeah. you know we look back and there were there was warning signs. Was language a barrier? Was culture a barrier as far as his treatment was concerned? I think culture, to a certain extent, was a barrier. He and his wife had no really idea what was going on. Uh, they didn't appreciate uh, that he had an illness. When um, his wife found out that he was hospitalized, uh, she had thought that he had done something wrong or that he was bad, and and, um, and that's why he was uh, put in a hospital and given needles and stuff like that. Um, so she had very little understanding, and he had very little understanding what was going on with him as well. And and even really by then, he had already become so um, sort of engrossed in the illness that uh, um, you know that he it, when when you start to when your reality starts to be shifted by that illness, people don't appreciate that they're getting sick. It's their reality, and so they don't know that that their reality is being distorted. It's like anybody else. If I told you that your reality was being affected by an illness. Uh, you you probably wouldn't believe me right now. Um, and so no matter how bizarre the ideas, uh, people really, and that's that's their experience, and they trust their own experience of how they see the world, just like the rest of us do. He's hospitalized briefly in Toronto, but um, gets back to Winnipeg, correct? Yeah. So his wife helps him come back. Um, again, there is issues around you know language barrier, isolation. He didn't have a lot of supports. He worked. Uh, he was a very, very hard worker, uh, had a couple of jobs, uh, but was, again, from my understanding, very isolated in the workplace, um, mostly doing labor, couldn't get a, a job within his chosen field. And and so, you know, things like McDonald's and shipping and receiving and Walmart stocking shelves. And so really a lot of time by himself, sort of in his own mind, doing sort of menial menial tasks for work. And does hostility start to to take in? Because I am educated, um, I know a lot more, and I should be a lot more ahead in life, yet I'm doing these menial jobs. Yeah, and it's hard to know right now because you talk to him and there's so there's almost no hostility, and and the way he describes he's a different man now. He's, he's a very different man now, and 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 it's and it's not clear that there was ever any hostility, and he, you know, was sick for. You know, months to, to years, it was, uh, and and never in, engaged in hostility until he became so engrossed in his symptoms and so isolated with those symptoms that it wasn't, and there wasn't any hostility. It was all about the experiences he was having, the um, how he was viewing the world, the with what his and how the hallucinations, the voices that he was hearing, which were consistent with how he was viewing the world, uh, were telling him about what was going on. There wasn't any anger or hostility. It was more fear um, of, you know, again, bizarre ideas. But to him, that that was his reality. 
Dr. Jeffrey Waldman is with us. We're talking about the Vince Lee case. Uh, we'll tell you about the book in a moment because it contributes to several other chapters um, from various angles. Uh, and your focus on this is trying to bridge the gap between mental illness and then the criminal justice system. And in telling some of the the background of Vince Lee, how do we get to somebody who is isolated and uh, is hearing and seeing things and then getting on that bus and finding that everybody around him is a threat. Can you help us understand where someone who is insular goes Mm. to somebody who is lashing out? Because that is rare within mental illness, is it not? Absolutely, it's very rare. Um, You know, unfortunately, uh, aggression and violence isn't, isn't that rare when somebody is acutely ill um, and often will lead to things like hospitalization and and um, and unfortunately within our mental health system sometimes we can be handcuffed into not intervening until there is that concern about safety or risk before we can actually uh, treat somebody against their will um, but again there wasn't there wasn't the, the hostility and so he never came to clinical attention. He was, again, sort of wrapped up in his own world, wrapped up in his own mind, uh, focusing on uh, what he believed was occurring. And um, and so, I mean, again, talking, and, and this is a little small section in the book, uh, I've talked to lots of people who experience psychosis, and it's hard to imagine, and I guess the best way that I can understand imagining what it must be like is, is, uh, is again, if anybody's seen sort of a, horror movie or spy movie or uh, where that main character sort of starts noticing things around them in their environment that seems to be changing, that where some people are following him, the people are um, talking about him, the people are changing in a way that seems somewhat malicious and frightening and and uh, talk to people around you and nobody sees it that way, uh, nobody else seems to get it um, until all of a sudden things make sense and, and, uh, and that there's some significant threat. People are turning into, um, you know, are aliens that have taken over the world and, and are slowly taking over people's bodies and, and, and well, that you're uh, and, the only one that gets it. And then you respond in a way, the, the, the main character responds in a way that makes sense, often, often a very violent, dramatic ending, but it makes sense to the person. It actually makes sense to us when we watch it. And, and that, that seems to me the same experience that somebody with psychosis experiencing. I have talked to people that have described this as you do see somebody as that they really aren't, that they're aliens, that they're yeah. out to get you, that it is um, something completely out of a horror film. Yeah. And uh, your only reaction is to react in an equally violent way. Yeah. And that's the psychosis that, that takes over. I can't help but wonder, though, that if there had been um, an attempt by his then-wife also trying to bridge those cultural barriers, that if there had been more of an active workplace when somebody is isolated, that you reach out, Mm -hmm. that when we armchair quarterback this, that there weren't the signs to get him the help that he needed early on. Yeah, I mean, it is hard for me to imagine that nobody noticed uh, things were changing. He did. He was um, involved in a church, and um, uh, and like I say, was you know working a couple different jobs. People knew him, um, 
I don't know if it was simply the fear, lack of understanding, um, but it's hard for me to imagine that people wouldn't have noticed that over time things were changing and that he was becoming you know, possibly more withdrawn, more uh, perplexed. I mean, there's you, you see people when they start to develop an illness and, and, uh, and there are what I believe to be fairly clear signs. And families are usually, families, friends are usually pretty good at noticing that something has changed in the days and weeks leading up to an event. Dr. Jeffrey Waldman is with us. And uh, your background, just a, a few seconds mm-hmm. here, a little bit about, about yourself here, because in coming into the Lee case, uh, you didn't really have a choice in taking Vince Lee, did you? That's correct. So I did initially, though, I didn't do the initial assessment after the... Uh, um, after he was arrested, he was uh, the assessment was done by Dr. Stanley Aaron, and then he was transferred out to Selkirk and was under the care of Dr. Kramer for a uh, number of years before he came back to hospital. Um, at the time that he came back to PX3, our forensic unit at the Health Sciences Center, um, I was actually the only uh, psychiatrist working within the forensic program, and so um, automatically he was under my care. Um, so I'm, we now have one other forensic psychiatrist or a psychiatrist is working in forensics with us. Forensic psychiatry is now a, a recognized subspecialty and uh, I'm the only forensic psychiatrist in the province. And then we have a third joining us in August who's also going to be working in, in the field. So we're uh, There's a huge need. There's there is a huge need, huge need <laughs> yes. uh, in this province and, and in this city. And you decided to write this and mm-hmm. contribute this chapter um, simply because the majority of the coverage has been Vince Lee crime yeah. as opposed to Vince Lee mental health patient. That's correct. And um, for many people, you know, they can't understand this, and, and that's fine. But for you, this is a passion because you do believe that this has set back a lot of people's progress within mental health because of this case, don't you? Well, that's correct. I, I, I believe there's, that there remains a lot of fear, a lot of stigma, uh, almost a double stigma for individuals who have a mental illness to become involved in the criminal justice system uh, that makes it very difficult for, for people to access appropriate care. Uh, often people become isolated, families withdraw. And, so, and what we know is, is that the more supports... Um, People are able to maintain the more that uh, if somebody has a, a severe and persistent mental illness like schizophrenia, if um, if they have a, a good support system who understands the illness and can help that person access help when they start to get sick, that uh, the risk is significantly minimized and, and recovery is definitely a possibility. And so people do very, very well with with adequate treatment and, and, uh, and supports. Vince Lee has a new name now. Hopefully, you know, a lot of people who are rooting for him, uh, a, a new life. But there are many, including myself, that wonder, could he fall into that psychosis again? Are you always a patient? You always have the illness and you always need to take care of the illness, but uh, treatment is very effective and he's found medications that are very, very effective for him. And um, and unfortunately, because of the circumstances, he has a very acute awareness that he does have an illness. He's ashamed about what happened. He's ashamed about what happened, very frightened to ever get sick again. And so he takes really incredible care of himself to make sure that he doesn't get sick again. Uh, consistently takes his medications, uh, exercises, eats well, really um, 
have, you know, acknowledge that like any other chronic illness, if you're going to live, if you're going to live well with the illness, you really have to take good care of yourself. And, and, uh, and he's done that and, um, and continues to work towards recovery. And so demonstrating the recovery is possible. I think that a lot of people believe that once you have a diagnosis of schizophrenia, that you're not going to be able to function for the rest of your life. Uh, but really the medications, if they're taken consistently and people take good care of themselves, recovery is definitely possible. Shrunk, Crime and Disorders of the Mind is now out at bookstores. It covers some of the most notorious crimes and, in this case, healthcare cases in this country. Dr. Jeffrey Waldman, thank you for doing what you do. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Richard Cloutier reports on 680 CJOB.